Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Yesterday, Landry Joe told me that she wrote my sermon for me, so <laughs> here you go. We love God, and God loves us. We love Jesus, and Jesus loves us. His power makes love, Jesus and God's. He loves, and we can love. If you would like prayer requests at this time... Just kidding. Just kidding. Anyway, um, she's, really, she's really awesome. Uh, but we are going to be starting a new series this morning on Deuteronomy. And I was really debating about what to title the series. I'm not one that is much for uh, spending a lot of time worrying about what the title of a series is, but I, I do like to have a series title. And So if you want to spend some time with me thinking about why exactly I picked this picture and this, uh, I, I tried to think through it, but I, I also know there's lots of churches that have like people on staff that their job is to make graphics, and that is not my job. So anyway, but I like uh, today we're starting this new series on Deuteronomy that we've titled The Covenants of Promise, because a lot of Deuteronomy, as you'll see, explained, is about this covenant relationship between God and His people. And I, one of the verses that I thought of and as I was preparing for this and thinking about the word covenant is there's that great verse in Ephesians where Paul is talking to the Gentiles and he says, Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You didn't know and you didn't have access to these covenants that God had promised a long time ago. But, but now in Christ you do. And so Deuteronomy I think is a great reminder and picture of what were those covenants of promise from back then. So, I want you to think, before we start, I want you to think about three different times where you've heard these speeches. I've, you may have had to do a wedding before or a funeral before or speak at a senior graduation or something like that, but I have had the privilege of getting to talk on a, what I call a senior Sunday and at a funeral and at a wedding. And obviously there are differences between all of them. But there is something that for me is similar in that in every single one of those contexts, in a senior Sunday, in a wedding, and in a funeral, I am trying as best I can to say, when you leave this room, when you leave this space, I want you to go from here and be the person that God has made you to be. Okay? So for seniors, with Senior Sunday or graduation, yes, I'm trying to be creative. Yes, I'm trying to think of a good lesson. But really, deep at its core, I spend the week or the weeks before just going, if I could say something that could really stick and land in the hearts of a senior in high school about to go off, what would I love to just stick? And usually, it's something along the lines of, God has so much for you to live into. And you are missing out if you don't, and you are going to be so glad if you do. Go from here and be the person that God wants you to be. With a wedding. With a wedding, uh, I think I've done three weddings. And with each of those weddings, I am trying... In, I'm trying to be fun and entertaining. If it's really hot outside, I'm trying to be a little quick. Um, I'm trying to do all sorts of things to, to, for the crowd to enjoy it. But one of the things I'm trying to do, too, is I'm trying to, if the bride and if the groom really are listening, and if something were to stick, I'm trying to say, go from this place, and for the rest of your life, 
live into what it means to be a covenant together as a pale reflection of the covenant God has with us. Go from here and try and be what God made this relationship to be. Does that make sense? And then with a funeral, you might be thinking like, I don't know, but with a funeral, another thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say something where the people that have come and are in attendance, almost every single one I've ever gotten to do, usually there's a part of it where they are sitting there going, I loved this person because of the way that they lived into who God made them to be. Okay? You saw the ways in their life that they lived as the type of person that God had designed them to be. And my challenge for the group listening is go from this place and you, with the precious breath and life and time and minutes that you have left, try to live in such a way like this person where you are living and making the most of how God made you to be. Okay? Does that, does that make sense? All right. So... To introduce Deuteronomy, the Israelites, they have been, let's give you, let's back up just a little bit. The Israelites have been freed from Egypt. They are on the exodus out of Egypt and they travel to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb or whatever name you want to call it. There's lots of names in scripture. They're there and for a year they're camped at the foot of the mountain where God is making his covenant between him and them. This is how we are going to live. This is what, how, what I'm going to do, and this is what you're going to do, so that we can live together in relationship. And they spend a year establishing that at the foot of the mountain. And then they start to journey to the promised land. But, as we know, they're kind of not journeying in the promised land because God has told them, because of your already, right off the bat, not listening to the covenant, they are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation is no longer there. So they're wandering in the wilderness, and finally they've gotten to the banks of the Jordan River, and this is where the book of Deuteronomy begins. This is where Moses, who knows he's not going to get to go into the promised land, Deuteronomy begins and ends with him saying, I am going to try my best to tell you that you are the next generation. The old generation has passed away. You are the new generation. And you are going to go into the promised land. And before you go from this place, I want to try my best to convince you, to urge you, to get it to stick in your heart, to live according to the covenant God made with you because it will be the best thing for your life. Okay? That is what this series is going to be about. It's about Moses trying to commend this next generation call to covenant faithfulness with God. Go from here and be faithful to God. And I think it's very applicable to us because every Sunday when we finish in some form or another, I am going to be hoping that we as a future generation are going to leave from this place and go be covenant people with God in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and in our work. So Deuteronomy 4, we're not going to read all of this 1 through 41, but this is where we're going to be today. It is going to give us a great snapshot of all sorts of different themes that we are going to be exploring throughout this series, okay? And so Deuteronomy 4, starting in verses 1 through 2. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land of the Lord. The land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands the Lord your God of the Lord your God that I give you. So let's look at, I'm gonna, there's one key theme that I'm going to save for next week because it's going to be the focus of next week, but let's look at one, three, four, five, 
key themes that we're going to be exploring throughout this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a passage, or I'm going to tell you the theme, read the passage in chapter 4 that we see it most clearly, and then just talk about it just for a little bit. Okay, the first one is the collective memory of God's actions for them. One of the key things Moses wants them to, to get across to them is do not forget as a people what God has done for you. In verses 32 through 34, Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation? Talking about the Exodus. By testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. He's saying, we cannot lose track of what God has done for us. We cannot forget. No people, no group has ever seen anything like what our God has done for us. We aren't going to forget what God did for us, who our God is. And right in line with that is our next key theme that we're going to see throughout Deuteronomy. Not only should you remember these things, but you need to teach them to your children. Deuteronomy 4, 9-10 Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, at Mount Sinai, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. I don't want to get too lost in the psychology of this, but I, I, I just kept thinking how cool it is. There are so many things that we take for granted that technically, if, if a storm came through and wiped out everybody, how many things would we just not remember how to do? Every single one of us knows how to change a tire, if you know how to change a tire, because someone got down on the ground and taught you how to change a tire, right? That's something where I think, I hope that people would maybe be able to figure this thing out if we all got wiped out. But it's still, think of all the things that we know and we remember and we know how to do what we do because someone taught us and told us this is what you do. And I just think it, there's that passage uh, in the New Testament where Paul, or no, that's it, it's an Acts uh, no, maybe not an axe. There's a pet place in the New Testament where basically he says, the reason why we know what we know is because the apostles told these people who told these people, and now we get to benefit from this. All of us are one generation away from not knowing a thing if we do not pass the information and teach the next generation what they need to hear. The next key theme is no idols. I could go, I could expound this, but I've kind of kept it succinct. Because talking about idols sounds real weird to us because we don't have shrines in our houses. Most of us don't, I think. I don't have a shrine in my house. But we do have a lot of things that are very similar to shrine idol worship in our lives. Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 19 says, You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Mount Horeb out of the fire. You didn't see some image come down. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like an animal on earth or any kind of bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. 
All of this would make perfect sense to them because the place that they're about to go into is going to be full of nations and people that have idols and gods that they worship that look like all these things. That look like a person. That look like a person with a, a cow's head. They look like a, you know, all these types of things. It says, and when you look up to the sky and you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all these, the heavenly array, you probably would think, man, those things must be divine. I've got to worship those things. And he says, Do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things. I love this part. Worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. He's saying, Don't take something God created that's awesome and make it God. Always remember, it's not your God. And we do this all the time. We take all sorts of things, good or bad, that God said, yeah, this is for you to enjoy. And instead of keeping them in their place, we idolize them, we worship them, we make them our purpose and our treasure. In the promised land, it will be very tempting to follow these other idols and gods and do not worship these things. And we still, all the time, whether we admit it or not, find ways to see things that we think seem great, we look up at the stars in the sky. I'm talking metaphorically here. We look around at things. And we go, man, that's just something that I just want to like idolize. And we do. And God would say, don't do that. Those things are never meant to be idols. I am the only God that I want you to worship. The next key theme is repentance and, oh, I should have said repent and recognize God. Or repentance and recognition of God. Deuteronomy 4, 28-31 says, There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone. So he just got done talking about idol worship. And then what does he say? He says, when you get there, you are going to worship these idols. It's kind of an interesting turn of phrase. He doesn't go, if you happen to worship God, idols and, and you forget what I just told you. He says, when you get there, you are going to worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. They're dead. They're not living like me, the living God. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. One of my favorite lines is when it says in verse 29, But if from there... That part, what is the from there? You know, from there is from this place of living against the covenant. If in that spot where you are not walking with God, you are not being faithful to the covenant, if from there you turn and seek the Lord your God, you will find Him when you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then I love the other, the next line that I love so much is when He says, He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which He confirmed to them by oath. I don't know when it's going to happen in this series, but at some time we're going to really dive into this word covenant because it's a word we don't really know nowadays. This is a good hint of what covenant means. And with that in mind, I'm going to talk about the last and final theme. And this is the thing I'm going to maybe stretch out the most of all of these. So the final theme, which is a huge theme in Deuteronomy, is obedience to God. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8 says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. Don't forget this spot. I'm going to talk about this for a little bit. Keep them and do them, for they that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who 
when they hear all these statutes, are going to say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? I want to talk about this more on Wednesday night. Don't let me forget. Because I don't feel like that's how they would react, you know? My natural inclination is that when people that are not following God see all the rules, their first thought is like, this seems ridiculous. And yet Moses is serious. He's saying, like, when the people see these rules that you follow, these statutes, they are going to be so jealous of your God. How many of us feel like when our world around us sees our statutes and following Jesus, they go, that sounds great or that sounds terrible? Maybe that's a sign that we have made certain things statutes and rules that God never meant to be statutes and rules because that is not how our world sees our statutes and rules. Does that make sense? I'm just chewing on this. Let's come to Wednesday night class. Let's think about it. But right here, I'm going to... This whole series has been inspired and really influenced by a class I took in my master's course by Dr. Mark Hamilton, who I think preached here like like a week or two before I got hired. Uh, and so, anyway, I'm not positive, but I think he did. Anyway, he points out in his study these two words in verse 6, keep them and do them. Doesn't that sound redundant? If I told Marshall, Marshall, I need you to keep the rules that I'm telling you and do the rules. You're like, yeah, duh. You know, that's the same thing, right? Kind of very repetitive. Now, if he said, yeah, duh, he'd be in big trouble, you know, but, but this phrase, if you look in your translation, I don't know what translation you have, but ESV and RSV, they say, keep them and do them. NIV says, observe them carefully. The message says, keep them, practice them. The New Living Translation says, obey them completely. So obviously there's something going on here where people aren't sure how to translate this. And it's because in Deuteronomy, it is of central importance to obey God. And the Hebrew expression for that are these two verbs. One is shamar and one is asah. Shamar means to keep and asah means to do. And they're often put together. And so the awkward phrase would be, like the awkward translation would be to say, to keep, to do. So if you literally wanted to translate verse 6, the literal translation would be, keep, do, for what will be your, that will be your wisdom. And you're like, well, that seems weird. But the, maybe the better English would be, be sure to do this. Okay? And you're like, why on earth are you, you harping on all of this? Well... The reason why this is so important to be sure to do these things is because often we're going to read through Deuteronomy, often we're going to read through the whole Bible, through the New Testament, and we're going to see things from Jesus where he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And we create in ourselves this feeling of a burden of, oh man, I've got to, I better keep all of these commands. I better do all these things great. And yet, this is a quote from Dr. Hamilton that I really like. Such obedience in Scripture never appears here as a burden or something done with difficulty, but rather as a gifted way of living, an easier way of life, because it conforms more closely to our true human nature and to Israel's story with God. So let me try and explain this real quick. Let me try to use an illustration. Where I went to college, Abilene Christian University, I don't even know if they still do this, but where I went to college, we had a curfew. During the week, you had to be in your dorm by a certain time. All of my friends that went to other colleges, like A&M or Tech or wherever, 
they thought that was the craziest thing they'd ever heard to make college guys and girls come and have to be in their dorm by midnight during the week. And what I remember thinking is, as I would explain it to people, I would say, listen, you might think of this as a burden. Like, man, that sounds lame. What a buzzkill. But for me, it felt very wise because it was kind of a gift. Rather than debating, do I want to go to Whataburger at 1 a.m.? Do I want to get Taco Tuesday at Taco Bell? At what? Despite debating about all these options, I just knew, because I was a rule follower, I'm going to be in by midnight. Honestly, for me, I was like in by like 9 p.m. I was one of those. <laughs> that was me. But... Do y'all think it's more safe to be inside or out on the roads after midnight? What do y'all think? Yeah, thank you. Do y'all think it's better for your health to go to bed closer to midnight or closer to 3 a.m.? What do y'all think? Right? Do y'all, yeah, you teens, I know what y'all are thinking. Y'all need to go to bed, okay? Do you think, and here's the real secret, Catherine, who went to A&M, no curfew, on her dorm... At the end of her freshman year, she could not have told you more than one or two other people in that entire hall. She could not. Now, it's partially because she's shyer and an introvert. But she wouldn't have known a single other person besides her roommate on that hall. But guess what? I knew everybody on my hall. You know why? Because we were inside by midnight. We were almost forced to be friends with each other because nobody, everyone's like, oh, I wish we could get out. This is the worst. I wish we could go. And we're building community. We're making a slip and slide in the hallway. We're, you know, we're, we're playing all sorts of things, you know, all this stuff, okay, because we had to be together. And so I'm going to reiterate this. With this rule, this burden that ACU created for us, it actually led to a lot of really good things for our life, Right? It led to us living more like, you know, it's probably wiser to not be out past midnight. It's probably wiser and healthier to go to sleep a little earlier. It's probably better for community if people are together rather than just out at all hours, okay? I think a lot of parenting is like this too. A lot of times for parents, you know, your kids say, ugh, you're just ruining my life, giving me all these rules, when really you're like a gardener who's creating boundaries, creating healthy spaces for your children. And so an idea that I want you to remember that we've been working, workshopping, on Sunday morning class, I have tried to talk about when we were going through our Dallas Willard Renovation of the Heart series, I tried to reiterate this idea that when we can tr continually train, going with Ryan's communion thought, when we continually train our bodies to refrain from what is of this world or what is of our old desires, as Paul would say, what is of our flesh, and then we continually train our bodies to pursue and reflect what is of the Spirit, what is of our new body, our new self, these desires that we wish we had but we're not quite there yet. When you do that, it will feel a lot like more pressure, more rules, more regulations. That sounds like the worst. Why would you want to put yourself through that? But for those of us who are actually trying to do these things, what we find is... After, I don't know, I wish it was faster, but after a little bit of time, we start to go, hey, this is better. Hey, this actually feels a lot better. Hey, this is better for my life. These things that I'm training that feel like more rules, you know, uh, if Ryan's trying to train his cross-country team to get better at running, if he's trying to coach up his athletes to do certain things to be better, you know, there's probably a few of them who would tell you, you know, by the end of cross-country season, I'm like in the best, I like feel the best I ever feel, right? They would tell you, like my heart, my breathing, my everything feels better. Not because, oh man, you know, 
God said, you made the right choice. Good job doing cross-country. Now you feel better. No, it's because that person lived into that you're probably supposed to be someone that's getting a little bit more exercise in your life. Does that make sense? Following me? Okay. So, with this covenant, part of what I really want to reread with this, obedience to God to keep and to do these things never is a burden or something that is done with difficulty, but it is rather a gifted way of living, an easier way of life, one that is like a tree planted by streams of living water that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. It's a life that is happy where the things that they do, they succeed. These are the things that happen for people who are obeying God. And if we want to use Jesus' words, we'll end with Jesus' words because I want to end with Jesus' words. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Okay, God, Jesus is coming. He's going to come and tell me all the things I don't have to do. He's going to come and tell me that I get to take it easy. And what is the first thing he says? Take my yoke upon you. What is a yoke? A yoke is literally the thing that they would put on oxen's shoulders. And it's also another way of describing my teaching, my interpretation of the law. But still, isn't that fascinating? Jesus said, you want to be less burdened? You want to have less weariness? Put me and my teachings on your back. Well, Jesus, you just got done telling us you were going to unburden us. Now you're adding something new. And he's saying, no, when you add my burden to your shoulders, when you add obedience to my teachings, you will find, and you learn from me, you'll find that I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my teaching, obeying me, following my covenants, is easy, and my burden is light. If any of you would like to talk more about what that means, uh, if any of you would like to explore what it's like to say, God, I know it's going to seem like a burden to the rest of the world, but to me, I cannot wait to take on your commands. I cannot wait to live in this way that you designed for me to live. If you would like to know more about that, we'd love to talk to you. And if you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be at the doors while we stand and sing this song.